Welcome to conference coverage presented by ReachMD Radio on XM160 and powered by Health Day. Featuring the latest clinical information and research findings from the Society of Gynecologic Oncologists 41st Annual Meeting on Women's Cancer, which took place March 14th through the 17th, 2010, in San Francisco. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Kina. And I'm your co-host, Sue Berg. This year's meeting attracted over 1,800 participants from around the world. The conference focused on advances in the diagnosis, prevention, and management of gynecologic cancers. Highlights included presentations on advances in chemotherapy, cancer screening, and radiation and surgical approaches, as well as a special session highlighting five late-breaking abstracts focused on improving patient outcomes. One meeting highlight was a study led by Dr. Joan Walker at the University of Oklahoma Health Sciences Center in Oklahoma City, which showed that laparoscopic surgery for uterine cancer doesn't result in inferior outcomes as compared to laparotomy. Dr. Walker and colleagues randomized more than 2,600 patients with clinical stage 1 to stage 2A uterine cancer to laparoscopy or laparotomy for procedures such as hysterectomy, salpingoophorectomy, pelvic cytology, and pelvic and periaortic lymphadenectomy. They found that three-year overall survival was about the same for laparoscopy and laparotomy, 89.8% versus 89.9%. To date, a total of 345 patients have died. Most of those deaths were attributed to disease with about 68% in the laparoscopic group and 31% in the laparotomy group. The researchers concluded that clinicians can feel comfortable offering laparoscopy as an option to patients as the approach presents with fewer complications and patients are typically in the hospital for 24 to 48 hours with similar survival and recurrence rates as laparotomy. Research from Australia showed that quality of life in patients who underwent total laparoscopic hysterectomy improved up to six months post-surgery as compared to patients who underwent total abdominal hysterectomy. This was a quality-of-life substudy under the LACE trial, or laparoscopic approach to carcinoma of the endometrium, involving over 300 patients between 2005 and 2008, with enrollment for disease-free survival from 2005 to 2010. The first 180 patients in the study were randomized to either laparoscopic hysterectomy or abdominal hysterectomy. Quality of life was measured using the Functional Assessment of Cancer Therapy, or FACT-G questionnaire, plus a supplementary endometrial cancer-specific subscale, the Body Image Scale, and the Euro Quality of Life Visual Analog Scale. Up to four weeks after surgery, researchers found that patients who underwent laparoscopic hysterectomy showed a significantly greater improvement from baseline quality of life compared to those who underwent abdominal hysterectomy. Their scores ranged from a 14% improvement in functional well-being to a 2% improvement in social well-being. In addition, improvements in quality of life continued to favor patients who underwent laparoscopic procedures for up to six months after surgery, especially for functional well-being and body image. The authors conclude this is the first trial with sufficient statistical power and a low rate of conversions to show that quality of life is better in patients who underwent laparoscopic total hysterectomy compared to abdominal total hysterectomy for up to six months post-surgery. In a study presented during the late-breaking abstract session, Dr. Warner Huh of the University of Alabama at Birmingham and colleagues showed that women who previously underwent surgery for certain gynecologic conditions benefited from the human papillomavirus vaccine against type 6, 11, 16, and 18 of the virus. These gynecological conditions included 
grade 2 and grade 3 cervical intraepithelial neoplasia, vulvar intraepithelial neoplasia, vaginal intraepithelial neoplasia, or genital warts. The study included over 17,000 women between the ages of 15 and 26 years of age from two placebo-controlled trials who received either the HPV 6, 11, 16, 18 vaccine or placebo. 1,350 women underwent partial cervix removal as definitive therapy. About 580 of these women were in the vaccinated group. The vaccination group was significantly less likely to develop further HPV-related disease, irrespective of causal HPV, compared to women who did not have the vaccine. In another group of women who had been surgically treated for vaginal or vulvar intraepithelial neoplasia or genital warts, women who received the HPV vaccination were also less likely to develop further HPV-related disease, irrespective of causal HPV type. The authors concluded from these results that women who've been treated previously for these diseases benefit from the HPV 6, 11, 16, 18 vaccine, as there was a statistically and clinically significant reduction in HPV-related disease after treatment. Dr. Rowan T. Chelbowski of the Los Angeles Biomedical Research Center and colleagues showed that conjugated equine estrogen alone was not found to increase incidence of or deaths from lung cancer. Estrogen plus progestin was previously found to increase incidence and mortality from lung cancer in the Women's Health Initiative randomized controlled trial. Researchers conducted post hoc analyses of the Women's Health Initiative trial that evaluated over nearly 11,000 postmenopausal women between 50 and 79 years of age who had previously undergone hysterectomy. Participants were randomly assigned to once daily conjugated equine estrogen or placebo. After an average of about seven years of intervention and nearly eight years of follow-up, researchers found that 61 women in the estrogen-only group were diagnosed with lung cancer, as compared to 54 in the placebo group. Deaths from lung cancer did not differ between the estrogen-only versus placebo groups, with 34 deaths in the estrogen-only groups compared to 33 deaths in the placebo group. In addition, deaths from non-small cell lung cancer were fewer in the estrogen-only group compared to placebo there was a lower number of poorly differentiated cancers in the estrogen-only group, while the number of cancers with distant metastases was the same in both groups. Researchers concluded that, unlike estrogen plus progestin, which increased deaths from lung cancer, use of conjugated equine estrogen alone did not increase incidence or mortality from lung cancer. A gynecologic oncology group study led by Dr. Jamie L. Lesnock of the University of Pittsburgh looked at 393 patients with optimally resected stage 3 epithelial ovarian cancer and archival tumor participating in a multi-institutional randomized phase 3 trial of intravenous versus intraperitoneal delivery of the chemotherapy drugs paclitaxel and cisplatin in order to assess BRCA1 gene expression's role in drug sensitivity. Although the BRCA1 gene is associated with familial ovarian cancer, its role in sporadic epithelial ovarian cancer is not completely understood. Reduced BRCA1 expression may be associated with enhanced sensitivity to platinum-based chemotherapy, but also with increased taxane resistance. BRCA1 expression was assessed by immunohistochemistry using a mouse monoclonal antibody specific for the immunoterminal end of BRCA1. Progression-free survival and overall survival were analyzed using the Kaplan-Meier method and Cox regression analysis. The researchers showed that BRCA1 polymorphisms and 5 loci are associated with a shorter progression-free survival of 10 months in patients with epithelial ovarian cancer undergoing treatment with platinum-based chemotherapy. 
The authors concluded that the combination of these single nucleotide polymorphisms may be a biomarker for a prediction of clinical outcomes in this patient population. In two Phase one studies by the Gynecologic Oncology Group, researchers helped establish safety and dosing data for abdominal administration of the chemotherapy drug carboplatin, including data determining the maximum tolerated dose and dose-limiting toxicity. Intraperitoneal infusion of chemotherapy agents has not been widely accepted in the United States, due in part to the toxicity associated with the drug cisplatin. But cisplatin, combined with intravenous and intraperitoneal paclitaxel, has been shown to extend survival in women with advanced cancers of the fallopian tubes, ovaries, and peritoneal cancers. The platinum-based chemotherapy drug carboplatin has been thought to be less toxic than cisplatin. Two separate studies evaluated combinations of intravenously administered paclitaxel and abdominally administrated carboplatin. In addition, one study included a course of intraperitoneal paclitaxel on the eighth day of the treatment cycle. Both studies showed that abdominal administration of carboplatin doses of area under the curve 6 could be safely administered for six cycles. Intravenous paclitaxel dosages safely ranged from 135 mg per square meter in one study to 175 mg per square meter in the other study. Both studies indicated that adding growth factors to the regimen might counteract chemotherapy's toxic effects on blood cells. Results were presented from a study conducted by Dr. Brooke A. Saunders of the University of Kentucky Medical Center in Lexington and colleagues that evaluated the safety and effectiveness of transvaginal sonography, or TVS, as a surveillance method for monitoring certain tumor types. Ultrasound had not previously been shown to reduce the risk of malignancy in complex septated ovarian tumors without mural nodularity. The study's authors sought to determine if surgery could be avoided, provided that no solid areas or papillary projections became evident in these tumors using TVS. The researchers followed nearly 30,000 women for 22 years. Within a subgroup of 1,319 women, 2,870 complex septated cystic tumors were found. Ultrasound indicated the tumors had no solid areas or papillary projections, so patients began a course of follow-up TVS every four to six months. More than 38% of the tumors resolved. However, as long as the tumors persisted, follow-up ultrasounds continued and participants had on average two or three ultrasounds per year for six years. During the study period, researchers removed 128 complex septated cystic tumors from the subgroup and tracked the remaining 2,742 tumors with TVS but did not remove them. All patients except for one remained cancer-free for an aggregate total of over 7,500 follow-up years. The authors concluded that septated cystic ovarian tumors without solid areas or papillary projections may be safely monitored with transvaginal sonography for years without potentially increasing ovarian cancer risk. Thank you for listening to Conference Coverage, a presentation of ReachMD Radio, broadcast on XM160 and by live stream at ReachMD.com and powered by HealthDay.